my life. I used to have the hardest time cleaning up my closet because everything I touched, I could tell you a story about it. You know, some of you the same way. I tell you what I was doing when I was wearing this shirt and et cetera, et cetera. I knew what I was wearing when my kids were born. And today is, is the first, because this is the first opportunity that I'll have to dedicate two precious babies unto the Lord. Zoe Ellis Cook and Bo Landry Nichols. Now, I've grown to love these families. And if, if you'll allow me just the next little while, I want to share with you what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart in Luke chapter 2, verse number 22. Bible says, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. To present him. I want to preach this evening on this thought, a present only a parent can give. A present only a parent can give. Lord bless you as you're being seated. There's something about children that tugs at the heart of God. One man once said, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. Psalm 127 and 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of his reward. Uh, the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Nothing spells excitement, Brother Jonathan, like having a house full of kids. The Lord has blessed my quiver with four girls. And there's never a dull moment with four girls or four children. I just happen to know what it's like with girls. But they just have a way of keeping things exciting. Read a story, goes something like this. A group of expectant fathers were in a waiting room while their wives were in the process of delivering babies. A nurse came in and announced to one man that his wife had just given birth to twins. That's quite a coincidence, he responded. I play baseball for the Minnesota Twins. A few minutes later, another nurse came in and announced to another man that he was the father of triplets. That's amazing, he exclaimed. I work for the 3M company. At that point, the third man slipped off his chair and laid down on the floor and began to weep. Somebody asked if he was feeling ill. No, he responded, I happen to work for 7-Up. Sometimes the task can seem daunting. But God loves children. Having children is a blessing from the Lord, but what parents do with the children can have eternal rewards or consequences. Jesus expressed his sentiments regarding messing with children 
In Luke 17 and 2, he said, It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. You want to mess with God, you mess with a child. Oh, I know God has mercy. I, I understand that. I'm not, I'm not trying to negate the mercy of God. But what I am saying is Jesus said it himself. It'd be better if you had something tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than you start messing and offending children. Children. If God takes anything serious, he takes children seriously. Children are the epitome of innocence. You want to know the truth, you ask the kids. I learned as a youth pastor, I knew how parents really felt because I would listen to the 12 and 13-year-olds talking because they don't filter nothing. Now, you start getting 16, 17, 18, they start, that filter starts catching things. But you want to find out what really happens at home? You, you start asking kids, and then you want to really start kind of being sly, you start throwing little probing questions in there, and they will tell everything. That's just how kids are. They're, 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 they're so innocent. They display excitement over the smallest of things. I remember several times as Christmas would come, my wife and I would be so excited over what was underneath that tree for those children. I mean, Santa did his best to make sure that, that, that those kids were going to be happy. And only to sit back on Christmas morning as those kids emptied one present after the other and they were so excited over the leftover cardboard boxes and they played with the boxes and I told my wife we could have just wrapped empty boxes they're just they're so amazed at the simplest of things and their spiritual future is best determined while they're young. 19th century Scottish preacher Horatius Bonar asked 253 Christian friends at what ages they were converted. Here's what he discovered 20 years of age and under, 138 were converted. Between the ages of 20 and 30, 85 were converted. Between the ages of 30 and 40, 22 were converted. Between the ages of 40 and 50, 4 were converted. Between the ages of 50 and 60, 3 were converted. Between the ages of 60 and 70, 1 was converted. And over 70, 0 was converted. 138 were converted 20 years and younger because it's those ages that they're the most impressionable in living for God. It's in those ages that they're going to make up their mind. And how are they going to make up their mind? It's going to be because there were some parents that began to put in those children things that they needed to succeed in living for God.
Children are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them will make a lasting impression. My question, Brother Jonathan and Sister Charlotte and Brother Terry and Sister Cassandra, is what kind of impressions are you making in these children? Not only today, but rather in the days to come because it's the impressions that you live. I can think back even right now at my youngest, in my Sunday school ages, things that I still think about. I remember when I was 11 or 12 years old and I, my Sunday school teacher was teaching Search for Truth and he was teaching about Calvary. And just like 12 and 13 year olds, we were cutting up. But when I noticed that my Sunday school teacher was weeping, I realized this is no joking matter. And it left a lasting impression in my life. Calvary. I still associate that lesson with my Sunday school teacher weeping as he taught about the power of Calvary in our life. I certainly don't come with a message of perfection. However, it's messages like this that prompt me to consider as a father areas that I can improve. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now listen to me, parents. This is not a promise. It's a principle. A lot of people get, I've met parents that are so frustrated in their later years because their child has gone away. And they always say, I've got a promise. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's not a promise. It's a principle. Because Children, when they become of age, have their own will. They'll make their own decisions. They'll do things that bring heartache. God, God help me. I know my girls, when they get older, they're going to do things that break daddy's heart. Not because they're bad, but because they're humans. Just like parents and grandparents, you could think of things that your children have done that brought tears and that brought pain into your life. I'm talking about good kids good grandkids, but they're humans. They're humans. The principle is I've got to do my part to put in these children what they need. So when they become of age, what I put inside of them can help navigate and, 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 and help direct their path. Now, when they make their own decisions, that's out of my hands. But my responsibility to God is to put everything they need in them to make to, to live for God. I, I remember life has a way of hitting you really hard when you step into the real world. And I was raised in a Christian home. I attended a Christian school. I had three people in my graduating class. I was I, that's why I tell people I was third in my class. I, I I was so sheltered. We always had weekly uh, devotion at school, and I mean it was just a godly atmosphere, and I'm thankful for it. But when I graduated high school, I needed to start making a little bit of money because college wasn't in my foreseeable future. And so I just went and got hired on at the refineries. And if you've never worked in that atmosphere, they're not having weekly devotions and singing Kumbaya every week. 
They have a weekly safety meeting. That's about all they're going to have together. And I'll never forget. I couldn't wear my glasses because they're not safe. They weren't safety glasses. So I had to wear these safety glasses. Well, I am blind as a bat without these glasses on right here. And I had my hard hat and I had my, my overalls and had my lunch bucket. And I never went through a turnstile before. Didn't know what one of those things were. And all they told me was park at gate 62 or 72 and be there for 7-something. I don't remember what it was, 7.15, 7 o'clock. So I, I make sure I get there early because I don't know where I'm going. And, and I'm walking up to the turnstile. What I didn't see behind me was about 100 grown men who were ready to get there right and, and punch the clock right at the right time. And I, and I remember going in there, and the guard goes, let me check your lunch. Well, it startled me. I didn't know they had to check my lunch. I didn't know they, and, and I can't even see, I can't even see the guard's face right here. So I'm sitting here fumbling and trying to do my lunchbox, and, and they had to check for, he said, here they come, boy, they come, about to stampede me. He said, boy, you better get out there, hey, you fixing to get killed. You fixing to get run over. I was so startled. And I got there that day, went to the wrong gate. I was the only silver hard hat, and everybody else was green. Got a dead giveaway. You're probably at the, working for the wrong company right now. Had to get up, go find the right company. By the time the day was over, I realized real quick what the real world was really like. Now, I would, I would love to think that I could have lived the rest of my life and, and had Bible studies every day with people, and, and we all just talked about the goodness of the Lord. And I, but the real world is the real world. And Sister Cassandra, that little baby right now, one day that little baby's going to have to hit the real world. And that precious little boy's going to have to hit the real world. There's got to be things that mom and daddy put to balance out that real world. And it's during those years. If I wouldn't have had all that kind of stuff that, that my parents put in me and those Christian teachers put in me, I could see real quickly how the real world could, could kill somebody's spiritual walk. But I had some parents and people that instilled some things in me that helped me to learn how to live for God in the real world. I can tell people I know what it's like to be out there. I was out there. I did it. And I still, I would bring my Bible in my, in my lunchbox. And I, I had to learn how to not just talk for God, but to live for God. Anybody can talk for God, but not everybody's living for God in that real world. We see today three aspects that I want to focus on during this text in Luke chapter 2, the first part that we see is the presentation. What these parents on these front rows are doing today actually goes back thousands of years. When Jewish boys were born, their parents followed an age-old custom. And because Jesus Christ was born a Jewish boy, he too was brought by his parents to be a part of that very custom. We often think of Jesus as a man, but Jesus was a baby. He was fully God, 
yet he was fully a baby boy. And the custom was, after eight days, they would give that child a name. Thus, they gave him the name Jesus. But after 33 days, that family would come. 33 days was the fulfillment of purification for a woman. And after the fulfillment of purification, they would bring that baby to the temple. That's why the Bible says in verse 22, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I want to focus on that word present because you can also pronounce that word present, a gift. Parents, hear me. A child is a present that only a parent can give. We're here today because these parents are choosing to give these children back to the Lord. Keep in mind, this is not an act of salvation. But rather, it's an outward gesture of an inward desire expressed by these parents that God gave me this child. And as a sign of my commitment and my faith, I want to return this child back to God. And when Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter in a basket, you know the story quite well. They sought out a woman to raise the baby, and it just so happened that Moses' mother was chosen. And so while she had the time, knowing that he was going to be raised by Egyptians, knowing that one day he was going to be hit the real world, if I could use that term, Moses' mother began to put everything that Moses needed inside of him. This is how Moses knew that he was not an Egyptian, that he was an Israelite, he was a Hebrew. It's because he had a mother that was telling him, Moses, you're not of the world. You're not of Egypt. you you got a special identity. And so knowing that one day she was going to release him to the real world, she put everything that Moses needed inside of him. And parents, one day these children are going to be released into the real world. And while you have them in your care, you have to make sure that you put everything that they need inside of them to maintain them and maintain an effective walk with God. It was the parents that presented their child to the Lord. The ultimate spiritual guidance for a child is designed to come not from a church, but from a family. And what happens at church is simply meant to complement what happens at the home. Strong churches don't make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. Far too often the blame is put upon a pulpit or upon a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or, or whatever position you want to put the blame on. And I have stood as a youth pastor and my heart has been broken as I've watched parents totally go against the pastor, the youth pastor, the Sunday school teacher, undermining all spiritual authority because they wanted to make their kids happy. Our goal as parents is not to make our kids happy. It's to help get, keep our kids saved and get them to heaven. That's our sole responsibility. You're going to do things that's not going to make them happy. If you're really trying to spiritually lead them and guide them. 
Brother Terry, those precious girls right there, that little fella right there, you would never think that one day they would try to rise up and, and, and express opposition to you. But it's going to happen. And it's then that as a spiritual leader of the home, you have to establish this is what the, Lord, the word of the Lord says and this is how we're going to live and this is what we're going to do. As, as parents, especially with girls, because those girls just have a way of tugging at daddy's heart. But I want them saved. And you want them saved. We've only got one shot at this thing. I, I, I was at someone's office one time as an evangelist, and I always was looking at different things because I could get sermon material just about every, off a box of cereal. I could get some something to preach. And I saw a sign, and it said, Today is not a dress rehearsal. And there's a lot of truth in that. You know what a dress rehearsal is? It's the feeling of the real thing without the urgency of the real thing. You, you're Everybody's dressed up. Everybody's hitting their, their thing right on cue. Everybody's doing. But you know what's missing? The urgency. Because they know this isn't the real thing. And there's a lot of people that is living life like a dress rehearsal. They look in the part. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. But what they're missing is the urgency that this is our only shot. Parents, we got one shot at raising these kids. There's no do-over. There's no do-over. Now, I think God has mercy on us as parents because my daughter's four, fixing to be 14 in a couple of weeks. And I wish I'd have known what I know now when she was two. But you learn along the way. That's why grandparents sound like they have all the answers. It's not that they're trying to outdo you. It's that they've learned some things along the way that can help us as parents. So the first part is the presentation, and that's what we're doing here today. We're presenting these children to the Lord. But the second part of this setting is the consecration, where sacrifice was involved. Raising a child requires sacrifice. <coughs> In biblical times, after a Jewish mother gave birth to a son, they were then to go to the temple for a purification ceremony, which is what Mary did. And as part of this ritual, the mother would bring a one-year-old lamb and either a dove or a pigeon to offer as a burnt offering. If the woman could not afford a lamb, she would bring two doves or pigeons. The Mary, the mother of Jesus, Scripture tells us she brought two doves or pigeons. This indicates not only her lowly state, but also her low financial status. But she purchased the animals and brought them to the temple. It was probably not how she wanted to spend her money or her time. But she knew it was essential for the future of her child. As parents who desire to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, can I tell you, it will require sacrifice. As those children grow up, it's going to require sacrifice of your time in prayer, 
and come into the house of the Lord. Parents, we cannot ask our children to be faithful to the house of God if they don't see mama and daddy being faithful to the house of God. We can't expect our children to pray if they don't know that mama and daddy are praying. We can't expect our children to know how to give to the kingdom of God if they don't see mama and daddy giving to the kingdom of God. And, 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 and as they grow older, Brother Jonathan, you've got some that are youth age, and I love those, those two precious children. But every dollar you ever invest into those children for the kingdom of God is not a waste. Because you never know who they're going to touch for the kingdom. You never know what they're going to be for the kingdom of God. And these children, you never know. Every dollar. There's been times where I, I, I went without so my kids could participate for something for church. And I don't ever regret that dollar that I spent on that child. It is an investment in the kingdom of God. It's an investment. It's an investment. So everything that you give in these children, you do it unto the Lord. I never realized as a kid, you know, you just think that parents have unlimited supply of money. You just think that's what parents do is they carry 20s in their wallet just waiting to give to kids. But as I got older, I realized how much it was a sacrifice for my parents. Having three kids in the youth group at the same time. And if we all wanted to go out to eat, I was the kind... If my parents gave me $20, I would not go home with change. I was going to spend the whole, I will, I will order dessert just to make sure I didn't go home with any change left over. I had a friend of mine, he would get $20 and he would order a drink and then he would sit and wait for everybody to finish eating and then he'd eat all their leftovers and he made $15 every Sunday night. I spent $20. But you know what? I appreciate all the times my parents sacrificed so me and my brothers could participate in the kingdom of God. And do, if you're going to invest your money, invest it into something for the kingdom, something that will yield an uh, eternal reward. Amen. Then there's the third part. And that is the dedication. There was a man in that temple that day named Simeon. And it was revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ, the Savior of the world. And he took that child, Scripture tells us that day, and he began to pray. And he blessed the Lord. He said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Keep in mind that Joseph and Mary had no way of comprehending the magnitude of what that child would accomplish for generations to come. It would be like Brother Terry and Sister Cassandra with this little baby and just bringing it to the Lord, not knowing that one day that that baby would touch millions and millions and millions of people. We, we read it, 
because we know the rest of the story. But they were living this thing out, and they were just lonely, lonely people. There was no royalty. There was no fanfare. They were just doing what the Lord asked them to do. Little Bo, you have no way of knowing, Brother Jonathan. You have no way of knowing how many people will be brought to God because of that little baby. You have no way of knowing it, Sister Charlotte. This precious Zoe could be the greatest Bible study teacher the world's ever known. Could be the greatest missionary the world's ever known. You have no way of knowing. But when you put it, those children in the hands of God, you're saying, Lord, I'll do everything that I can to instill in these babies a love for truth, a love for the house of God. Let me just say this, because I don't know of anybody here that's done it, so I can say it and I'll be safe. But I have seen it happen in other churches. If you're going to ground your kids from anything, ground them from something of the world. Don't ground them from something of God. Don't punish them by saying you're not going to that youth rally or you're not going to that youth event or you're not going to this for the church. Don't, that's that's going to taint the view of that child for the future. Take away a device. Take away a sporting event. Take away a trip with friends. Something of the world. Don't ever, ever use the house of God as punishment for a child. There ought to be a deep desire and longing for that child to know that the house of God is my safe place. The things of God I can run to and I can find what I need. I can find what I need. Amen. You have no way of knowing what those children. I looked, I looked at pictures when I was a child. My parents kept photo albums. And I looked at photos where my parents were standing at the altar. And, and my pastor was holding me and was dedicating me to the Lord. And I've looked at those photos my whole life, flipping through those photo albums. And my parents had no way of knowing when they were doing that, what would happen 33, I gave myself credit there, 35 years later, that I would have the privilege of dedicating other children to the Lord. You have no way of knowing the impact. I want to ask parents if you would stand right now. Brother Jonathan and Sister Charlotte, if you'll stand. Brother Terry and Sister Cassandra, if you'll stand with these precious babies. When each of you were joined together in holy matrimony, you made vows before God. You made these vows to each other. And you're living these vows out daily. You're living the vows. So it is today with these children that you're making a vow before the Lord that as long as these children live under your roof, as long as you have responsibility and they're living under your roof and, and eating at your table, and even after, maybe God forbid that they would go away where you would still pray for them. You would still try to reach for these kids. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to step forward. 
Your family can join behind you. But when you step forward, it's not going to be just I'm coming to an altar, but rather it's going to be a sign to God and to this church that you're expressing your desire to fulfill the vows that I'm fixing to read. As parents, you consecrate yourselves to bring up your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And as parents, you promise to instruct your child in the teachings of Jesus Christ and in the practice of prayer and to guide this child in the development of Christ-like character. As parents, you promise to try to do the best of your ability to shape the home life of your child, both by devotion and by words and example, that he or she will at the proper age most naturally come to an open relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing that you're limited in the flesh because you're human. But to the best of your ability, it's my question to you today that if you so desire to fulfill these vows before God and this church, would you just come and stand just a little bit closer? Come stand forward. Family, you can join behind these parents and church family. Would you stand here this evening? This is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that we have as a church to join with these two precious babies. I'm going to ask Sister Stevenson to come join me in just a moment. I'm going to come and begin to pray for these families and for these children. And when I take this precious baby, Sister Charlotte, and you put them in my hands and I'm going to pray, understand in the eyes of God that Mary and Joseph, they did the same thing in the temple. And that that baby Jesus was being held that day and and, 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 and God only knows the significance that took place that day. And the same is going to be applicable today. Church family, would you stretch your hands forth right now as we begin to pray for these precious babies. May your 
Dedicate this temple 